Greetings program, hello and welcome to Tronologically Speaking, a movie by minute podcast talking about Disney's 1982 movie Tron. This is Minute 86. I'm your host Duncan Shields and returning with me today is my authoritative, diplomatic and wise guest co-host Curtis Blows. Welcome Curtis. (laughs) Hey everybody, I don't know if I'm going to live up to that, especially after (laughs) sleeping on the couch all night and not taking a shower, (laughs) but I'll give it a shot. All right. Uh, let's see what happens in minute 86. Sark's reanimated corpse grows to gargantuan size while Flynn comes up with a cunning plan to and uh, shares a, a strange kiss with Yori. And this kiss to kind of come out of nowhere. We get a quick uh, we get a quick glimpse of Yori and Flynn from the previous minute looking down at the mesa at something. And then we cut to what they're looking at. And Sark stands up slowly his body pulsing with red energy. He's moving in slow motion, so I think that's movie speak for he's growing taller and huger. It's a little hard to tell because there's just a black background here. There's no signifier anywhere to show us how big he's getting or if he's growing at all. It's a little strange considering that this Mesa has tons of red light beams from the MCP and pulses of light in the ground and the whole prairie of cracked ground, but we see none of that in this particular shot. Maybe it was too late to add what they wanted or they did add a background, but it looked ropey. So uh, once they tried to scale David Warner, so it's hard to say, but this is one of those very few shots in the film where we can sort of feel what it was like on set, just a black background and a person in a somewhat ridiculous suit in black and white. You know, that's what I think, but I don't know. What do you think? (laughs) What do you think of him standing up here and growing? What do you think? There was a scene Right before he stands up and does his moonwalk slide across the the stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they could have shown him standing up next to the NPC. M- God, I, I always say that. Too much Dungeons <laughs> and Dragons. Next to the MCP <laughs> yeah. Mesa. <laughs> yeah. And then we could have got a sense of scale. Yeah, we could have. Yeah, we could have. As it is, they- it works. But it's still kind of like, is he growing instead of like, oh, my gosh, he's growing, which is. Well, uh, one of the things is that once he stands up and he walks, he doesn't have to hop over little bits of whatever that is. Oh, yeah. Good. Yeah. His source code. He just he can just walk reverse the cracks. Yeah, that's a good. uh, So your mind makes that leap just fine. I think. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. He looks uh he looks back with his face in more shadow than usual, somewhat zombie-ish, and then he takes yeah. a slow step and his footstep sounds completely different. It's this footstep of finality, this reverberating echoey electronic stomp, uh unlike anything we've heard before, just this bonk. Bonk. Oh, like yeah. He seems to be growing larger as he leaves the frame. And it's uh but it's, it's kind of totally it's kinda He's totally the guy that had the ship for his head in Time Bandits. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Ship for yeah, a hat. That's a, yeah, ship for a hat, that giant, definitely. <laughs> uh, Tron is uh, still, that's a movie that I really want to do minute by minute. Gosh, I love that movie. I just watched it the other night. Be a good one. Oh, man, don't even That'd get be... me started on Time Bandits. Oh, my God. Nah, no, me too, I'll, man. I'll just give you, I'll give you a clue. I'll give you one clue, and we won't talk about it for the next hour. Okay. When I was in fourth grade, when that came out, I loved it so much. And I've got this thing I always say, my parents sucked. They never took me to any movies. I never got to see any movies in spite of the fact that I loved nothing more than movies. So Time Bandits came out. I didn't get to go see it. It finally came out on HBO. I recorded the audio of it by holding a tape player up to the speaker at my friend's house who did have HBO. And Amazing. I listened to Time Bandits over and over, the audio of it, over and over and over again for like the next year and a half. That's incredible, Constantly. man. <laughs> so I know that I have that movie completely memorized by sound. No doubt. Wow. <laughs> I, <laughs> That's awesome. That's yeah, dedication. Okay. That's all the further down that hole I want to go, but I could talk Okay, okay. All right. Okay, cool. If you ever do time bandits, I want to be your co-host. <laughs> I am hitting you up for sure. All right, cool. <laughs> All right. So Tron is uh, still inside the MCP, hard at work throwing his disc at the panels surrounding the MCP's neck. I, for lack of, I'm just calling it a neck. That uh, that that little 
that little twist in the middle there. He's really trying actually, to try. They do actually have a word for it, though, right? No, I think they call I, it a nexus. I, I'm, I don't. I don't remember them. They, they describe talk, it a bunch. I'll read. Yeah, for sure. Okay, see if they actually have a, a specific term for it. Because I don't remember a, a term for it. But he's really trying to chop down the tree here. He's just hucking his disc over and over at the panels, like really worrying the MCP. He catches his disc, and we can see that there's a panel now missing in front of the MCP's vulnerable point there. Uh, the camera pans up, and we see the face of the MCP, worried for the first time in the film. Up until now, he's had a, a, a look of you know, anger or a look of you know, just bored uh, evil. But this is like now he's actually distraught. His eyebrows are up and back. He he looks over to screen left, and what he's what's he looking at? I wonder what he's looking at. Then we get a shot from uh, below Tron looking up at him, and he's looking in confusion at the MCP's face. Like, what what are you looking at? And again, I've got that like Tron, shoot the puck, like throw the ball, do the thing. Like, there's your opening is there, but he really pauses when he should uh, when he should shoot. But that, it's not really that big of a deal. But in the background. We see a three-story tall, building-sized Sark stroll into the room behind him, towering towards up the ceiling. Now he is, he is no longer Sark. Now he is Mega Sark. He is, uh, he is a huge, monstrous Sark. Tron turns to see what's going on as the MCP says, Your user can't help you now, my little program, <laughs> which is... Just, you know, which is very close to like, where is your God now? You know, like it's very, I like it. Uh, I like it. That's a, that's an okay line. I don't know about the, my little program, but your user can't help you now is, uh, is, uh, that's awesome. is pretty well, good. I don't know how much you guys have talked about religion, by the way, that um, part that a lot. Tron is trying we've, to get is the vertex. Really? It's called the vertex. Okay. Hey, all right, good. There's something to call it now. Good. I've been like. I'm just going to say, you know, like two pyramids balanced on top of each other, point to point. Like there's no way to sort of just, I mean, there is a way, but the vertex. Okay, cool. Vertex. Yep. I'll remember that now. What it is in, in programming terms is it's the place, I, I, I'm guessing, okay, where the input and the output change places. Okay. Because it's an IO tower. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, so okay, So at that sure. point, it starts to. So they, they meet at the vertex and then they're mirroring each other out. Right. So everything yeah. has to jump across, across that vertex, which is, I don't know, I guess like the bus of the computer. Yeah. Okay. That little cho- choke point is where everything has to go through. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. So that, that talks, I, I don't know if I interrupted you, I'm sorry, but that talks about, we were talking in the last minute yesterday about... Uh, whether or not the MCP was just fading back and going somewhere else or what he was doing. But if all yeah. Tron has done is cut off the MCP's uh, contact with the outside world, it's possible he went down. It is possible he just went down the power cone or the power. Yeah. What I'm trying to say, beam. Yeah. he just Since he wasn't able to go up anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Tron pulls his arm back to throw it at this uh, red skyscraper as Mega Sark reaches down to grab Tron. And uh, but and Sark's not saying anything here, which is nice. Kind of makes him more scary. Kind of like uh, the mountain in the Game of Thrones or something like that. Like a giant, a giant uh, heavy character. Like a giant uh, muscle character is always a little scarier when he doesn't talk. And uh, so Tron pauses and runs between Megasark's legs towards the door. And I love this shot because they overlaid Sark on top of a scaled down Tron to make it look like Tron is running between Sark's legs. But he doesn't ever cross the silhouette of Sark's back leg. So he's just running under Sark's overlaid image, which is pretty cool because the the illusion that he's running between Sark's legs is is flawless. I never caught that. (laughs) Yeah. But he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't run over the back leg. He just runs under the, the foreleg there. But whatever's going on with Sark, he's not too nimble. Uh, but, I mean, I guess that makes sense. What do you, I'm what so do you freaked think? out by this. Duncan, I never What's realized that? they never went between his legs. <laughs> yeah. It looks for the world like he does in that little shot. Yeah, it looks like he does. And then you're like, wait a second. And then... Uh, and then <gasps> Yeah. Oh my god! 
Yeah, the illusion, the illusion is is complete. You that know, your brain totally, totally fills in the blanks. <laughs> nice. That's movie magic. So in the very next scene, after he runs between his legs, not scene, mm-hmm. but cut. Yeah. And he's now away from Sark a little bit and getting ready to, to wing his disc at him. Yeah. There appears yeah. to be walls all around this thing now. He's in the MCP. Okay, never mind. I'm yeah. back on the same yeah. page. Yeah, he's in. He's inside the. He's inside the MCP, and he stops to turn around to pull a David and Goliath, but it doesn't work. He hurls his disc, only to have Sark slowly hold his palm up and have the disc bounce harmlessly off. It's quite a difference from the other moment when the disc just obliterated Sark's forehead. But uh, Sark's giant body slowly registers the recoil from the disc bouncing and uh, corkscrewing harmlessly off into space. And I like how he moves here. I know they've undercranked it, but I like. I think about like, like you remember the world's tallest man. What was his name? I think it was Robert. Robert Wadlow was the world's mm-hmm. tallest guy. The, that guy was like eight feet eleven or something. It's almost. Oh, like, I, uh, I don't mean that. I know his name. I, I'm not confirming that. Oh no, saying yes. I, I remember yeah. him. No, yeah, he passed away in like what 1958 yeah. or something like that. But he was like, uh, like you know, 2.7 meters or uh, almost nine feet. You know, and he's. And so he's the guy that of, has the famous. He's the guy that has the famous picture of himself with Tom Thumb. Yeah. Yeah. With world's the, with smallest the world's guy shortest person at that time. Yeah. And okay. Tom Thumb is, what was Tom Thumb? Was he like, well, he was under three feet or something, wasn't he? Like he was like. Was really, he like two, you know, three or yeah. two, seven? Yeah. Something like that. So the two of them together is, is, is a, it's a shocking photograph. This guy. And, you know, because I met, I met, uh, I remember I met Richard Keel once, the guy that played Jaws in uh, James Bond. Nice. You know, and he was a giant, he was another really giant guy, but you could really see gravity working on him. Like I remember in like backstage in Andre, the, uh, the princess bride when they had Andre, the giant catch Robin, uh, as she's falling out of the window at the end of the film, they had to have her on wires because he couldn't, he couldn't actually catch her because she was like, even though she only, you know, weighed like 80 pounds or whatever, it was still way too much for his body to like catch because oh, yeah. it would have uh, it really because his you know his knees and his back and and everything at that point were well were, and and that guy right. that kind of translated into all of his screen appearances. It wasn't just the behind yeah. the scenes thing, you know. Like especially if you go look at like the Goonies video. I'm saying like so much. I'm sorry about your future. Editing. That's okay. If That's you go look at, if if you go look at the Goonies video and see yeah. how he quote runs in that movie or in that video you can see the pain this guy is in just from existing what andre the giant or no the guy that you mean the other guy from uh from goonies andre the giant andre the giant now, is in goonies yeah in the video in the music video for goonies oh oh okay sorry yeah yeah they have all the wrestlers and cindy lopper and everybody oh, okay cool yeah, he's not like he was the. This the thing is gravity really works on these uh, on these really tall guys, and uh, it's 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 yeah they they're sort of destined for shorter existences because just gravity's like no way man you can't be that yeah. tall, it's too it's too <laughs> yeah. hard we don't have the structure for it, but I've you know I've heard of some uh, but I've also heard oh. of some really tall tall guys that are super quick like uh, there's some karate instructors I know that talk about there's some like really you know, shorter, super ripped guys that come in, but they tucker out really quickly. You know, they okay. sweat, they start sweating super quickly. They have to taut to be quick because they're a little clumsy and they're not, they don't really have fast reflexes, but then you'll see these other guys come in that are just like, you know, bears, just really thick, uh, thick, thick dudes with barrel chests and huge bellies. But, uh, they're super quick. They're like ninja quick. <laughs> you know, they're not like, they're almost like un. It's unfair how quick they are because they're not. Uh, they're not just sort of uh, stumbly, clumsy people that you that you'd sort of think they would be, right? So it doesn't. It doesn't always go one to one in terms of that, you know. But oh, mostly, I speak, totally know. Yeah, yeah. So the, oh yeah, for sure, right? So there you go. Uh, but I mean, Sark is all hopped up on the MCP's juice here, so I don't know if gravity's working on him in the same way. But there's probably basics like momentum that need to be taken into account, even in the even in the computer world here. But he's moving really slow in order to uh, try to catch Tron. So, 
Well, that it's, opens it, up, like, as you like to say, a can of worms. Yeah, in, yeah. In Tron Legacy, we see that gravity can be messed with. Yeah. So it what's going negated, on with gravity right? in the computer world? Right? I mean, if and I guess it would the, be if, at the atomic level, wouldn't it? Uh, that is the question. That is the question, because my understanding would be that the gravity would be the parameters that have been programmed into it. You can have gravity, you cannot have gravity, but whatever the grid was created, whatever gra- whatever gravity the grid was created to have. But that gets into, you know, is does this movie take place in a metaphor or does this movie take place in what's actually happening inside that computer? Boy, and that right? is such a good question. And it starts I, to I get... Say, right at the beginning of the movie... When they zoom down in to the light cycle game, mm-hmm. I think visually it's suggested that this is all really happening. Yeah, I would, I would, I would agree. But I would it agree also with that. visually I, suggests that it's all happening in real time. So, <laughs> yeah, I think there's there's an aspect of uh, you know why not both? Like I think there's like a. Um, there's an aspect of both coexisting here because in the original concept, these were literal AIs that had been created oh. as a, as a slave class to do uh, the user's bidding. I didn't realize and, that. Yeah. And then, but they got away from that, but visually it's still the same thing. Like now they're just programs, but they're like a metaphor for what programs are in the computer. So they're not, they're not actually experiencing what's the, this isn't this isn't um an accurate visualization of what happens inside a computer but it's like well, a personification of what happens inside a computer just to be entertaining for us as a as a shorthand for what happened during Flynn's adventure kind of thing but uh well, and if that's, you take that's yeah, the you fun can't part too cl- yeah that's the fun part for me having just a bare grasp on programming <laughs> Yeah, sure, human, right. Who can just put who just understands code and can put it together and make it work right as long as he does seven times as long debugging as yeah. a regular programmer would do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's fun yeah. it's fun to watch this movie and just think about like what's the code that's making this happen? What's the program that's making this happen? How can this yeah. program be an accounting program but then go fight on the grid? Yeah, like or the whatever idea they're I think in this movie. I think the, the idea in the games is that the uh, the MCP um, takes programs and uh, gives them the ability. Like it sort of rewrites their code a little bit. Because um, well, that, that's where, so, because it, cause the whole thing about Flynn as a user is that he's got free will. He's got hope. He's got improvisational skills. He's got, why don't we do this? And other programs are like, because that's not what my programming is. But at the same time, you've got an actuarial program being on battle grids in, in the games. And so you're like, well, which is it? Like, Well, that makes, did, me, that makes me think that the MCP is taking his battle program, his hacking program, yeah, and taking an actuarial program, and just mm-hmm. putting his battle program up against the actual warrior program to see how bad it breaks it, just for fun. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Like, yeah. That's... First, first, he looks at he takes these programs in, and he says, "Are there any lines of code in here that are new that are that are something I could use? Is there any? Are they? Do they have any functions that I don't already have that I might just want to pack away? If the answer right. is yes, then he takes it. If the answer yeah. is no, then he just sends his his uh, countermeasure program Sark out against this thing to break the heck out of it. (laughs) Yeah. Just for fun. Yeah, for sure. Just for fun. I think that's, uh, that's definitely, that's definitely what he's doing. I think that's a good take on it. The thing that's missing from this is that he's not doing it in an arena. If, if they really wanted well, he's to, sort, well, he's sort of doing it in an arena, but he's not 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 in the way that you mean. No, like I would say that the light cycle race <clears> takes place in an arena. I would say that the 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 ring game, the high lie ring game, I'd say that takes place in an arena, but not like in not like in an arena. Yeah, not, not like, like in they a, do like in a, Legacy. 
not like they do in legacy, not like they do in a Colosseum. And like these, these characters are literally modeled on Roman gladiators. So you'd think that like a, like an arena arena is something that they would, uh, that would have, that something that they would have had in this movie. But they, yeah, like you said, they do have it in legacy, but they don't. Well, I don't know if it was lack of imagination or lack of money. I don't know if there's a early, I think it was a lack of, a lack of capability. Like, I don't think they could render out hundreds of people watching a match happen. I think that, that that didn't, that didn't exist. That would be the thing. That would be the reason to have the games is to keep the masses entertained. Yeah. While, and while you took one, over. Yeah, while you took over. And in this in this movie, the masses are the people playing the video games. Oh, okay. There's no there's no spectator programs. <clears throat> like the there's one the scenes that were cut where like in the light cycle race, uh it keeps cutting to people playing the light cycle race. Oh, during the during Flynn's light cycle race? Yeah, or during, during Tron's? Flynn's yeah, during Flynn and Tron's light cycle race, there's a uh there's 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 kids in a bus station playing a Tron video game, playing a light cycle video game. Interesting. That so they're been... making it move around. But then when Tron starts making independent choices, or when Flynn starts making independent choices, the kids are like, Hey, this machine's busted. It's not doing nice. what I tell it to do, you know, kind of thing. But that sort of opens up the idea of like, well, is Tron a warrior or does he always just have really good players playing him? Like if it's a different player playing him every time because he's just a, a in an arcade in a bus station or wherever, then uh, then what's going on here exactly? Like <laughs> is is it Flint's is it is, is it Tron's talent or is it the player's talent? You know, so I'm kind of glad they cut those scenes to. Uh, to remove that confusion. But that was, that was something that was, that was in the movie before. Okay. Well, I can see why you're glad that's cut. And I guess I am too, but boy, if they could have made that work, if they could have made that work, it's super cool. It's a really, it's really like, Oh, I see. Okay. It it definitely helps place what's going on regardless of the questions that it raises. Well, kind of free, free will. Yeah. Well, and when the clue was, searching for the uh the proof for Flynn there was an element of of clue having free will as well you know well Flynn yeah is like yelling, they had uh Flynn is like yeah. get out of there <laughs> like Flynn yeah like Flynn's like go over here and do this and then uh clues almost talking to bit like okay what do you think the plan is going forward what should we do here do you think we could do it right now you know like there's a, there's some autonomy there Right. And uh, so there's sort of like within within the parameters defined by their program, they do have some wiggle room. So have that's kind of neat. discussion with anybody about what bit is exactly about what bit is not specifically. Yeah. We've talked about him because he's a fascinating character in terms of he's in the in the screenplay for a lot longer than he is in the movie. Like he's on the solar sailor with them hanging out. Like the the bit bit lasts for a really long time in the screenplay, and there's oh, yeah. only and then one. There's a part where they think bit is lost forever, and then he finally comes back at the end, and they're like bit. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I haven't gotten that far in the uh, in the screenplay in the novel, but um, oh, the uh, sorry, the spoiler. <laughs> spoiler alert, spoiler <laughs> alert for that thing that was never filmed. The uh, <laughs> The, uh, like bit, like I thought that bit was, uh, I thought every cockpit had a bit. I thought every cockpit of it, every, every vehicle had a bit. Turns out bit is unique. Turns out bit was only for clue and that's it. Right. It's the only bit. And And that's, uh, and that's, uh, Flynn's special programming. Yeah. And that's Flynn's special programming. So that's when he's, when he reses up the, the, the blue recognizer, and bit comes out bit is thinking that Flynn is clue. So that's why bit's right. like, Hey buddy. And Flynn's like, what are you? And, and, uh, you know, and yeah, sorry. Flynn's like, what are you, who are you? And then bits kind of like, what? Like I, I'm bit. I'm don't you recognize me? And then they, they get along, but then he gets trapped in the, in the, in the cockpit after Flynn leaves anyway. But I just thought that was that recognizers bit. I didn't realize but, that was supposed to be bit from the beginning of the movie. Right, I thought all all bits were just bits, and they yeah. serve some function. You know, this they were just one a little... single speck 
Because a bit, yeah. you know, is like the smallest piece of data that your data that you're able to move around. Yeah, it does mention that all the sort of little bits that are flying around the MCP before they all go into the housing, into their little little uh, holes when the when the shuttle docks, they're bits so, too, but they're called free so, free bits or something like that. So what it would be is every program would just have thousands of these bits in them. Conceivably, yeah. Like theoretically, that was that would be the deal, yeah. So, you think that when having yeah, a bit like, that helps him? Well, I you know it just depends. They're obviously not going for totally how a program would work, and they're no. not completely going for how a computer would work. It's it's more no. metaphor, as you say. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there there is a point where it becomes fantasy, and they're not really going hard on being faithful to how programs actually work. They are taking <laughs> this character's name is Ram. I guess. Wait, shut up. They're not going faithfully? <laughs> <laughs> this is a bit, I guess. You know, like they're not, yeah. So yeah, bits are in. like super smart dogs. Yeah, I would say that's inaccurate, but they can only communicate in yeses or noes, yeah. But they know the answer to everything accurately. I don't know about that. See, that's one of the things that opens up because if they actually do, then they're ridiculously powerful. If they can give right. you an objective, unequivocal, true yes or no, uh, like that's that's something that you can use to crack the universe wide open, you know. Like so, well, and who, that's I, if you go back to programming, the concept in the eighties. I don't know how stupid this is going to sound now. Probably <laughs> there's, <laughs> but you would try to, you would try to set the. Oh God, I don't even know if I'm going to get the term right. You try to zero out the computer. Okay. You try to you try to get it. You try to get it to where it was just yes and no. Right. And once you got it there, then you owned the computer and there wasn't a code that could keep you out. Okay. You mean like getting it to divide by zero or something like that? Like trying to just... Yeah, you'd more like exploit stack overflows, but blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Um. And so, yeah, Bit would be kind of powerful in that context. Or... He's just the one of thousands of either on or offs that are part of every program. And he's a free bit, which you said earlier. Yeah. So a free bit now, this is what I'm coming all around to, just makes him a pet. Basically, he's a pet. Yeah. yeah. He's a helpful so pet. Clue finds this free bit. And he's like, hey, bit. <laughs> and bit's like, hey. Okay, goes, sure. Like a stray think? dog, like a like a stray dog. You see, Bit is kind of like a stray dog. He's adopted, or like a rescue, or something. Right, exactly. That's right, what I cool. think Bits are. I love because it because we yeah. see more of them around the MPC MCP. And they're <laughs> you kind can of do all it. over You'll the place. It. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. I think that's right. They're just roaming. Yeah, I think I'm cursed with these three minutes to just refer to him as the non-player character. There you go. Well, okay. Then we, uh, okay. So we cut to the mostly derezzed carrier, uh, tootling closer to the MCP. And we can see a very small part of the bridge that's still sort of there. That little gray space is where that's still solid. That's the part that Flynn is, I guess, manifesting. Uh, we cut to Flynn and Yori standing in this minimalist vector scape of what's left of the cruiser. And Flynn says, I got it. Steer us over by the beam. And we get a shot of the MCP housing from the carrier's eye view. And then Flynn finishes like right next to it. Yori turns yep. to Flynn looking quite confused, asking, well, what good will that do? Which is kind of too bad. I kind of expected her to put two and two together a little quicker. But perhaps what Flynn is thinking is so off the charts bonkers that it just wouldn't occur to anyone. And then Flynn says, uh, I'm going to jump. <laughs> and I'm kind of with Yori on this one because Yori's like, uh, what? Like, that's your plan? Like, jump into the MCP? And uh, so Flynn steps up to the balcony of the bridge, staring at the beam of the MCP as it gets closer, saying, uh, it's the only way to help Tron. And Yori rushes over, grabbing onto him, saying, don't! You'll be derezzed! And this is where we come to uh, to what, I guess maybe it's because I was uh, a 10 and a half year old or an 11 year old. Cause this, this came out of nowhere for me. This is a very strange moment in the film for me. Cause it wasn't 
foreshadowed or I mean Flynn looks deep into Yori's eyes and Yori looks deep into Flynn's eyes as the pulsing red light of the MCP washes over both of them and between them and the choral like a, a choir a choir version of the theme from Tron swells as they gaze and then they go in for a very heartfelt kiss there's a a wider shot as they continue to kiss as the MCP's hellish red beam gets closer and closer and then we get to another close-up of the kiss as they break um and I just remember as a kid this came out of nowhere like she doesn't have the same she doesn't have the same uh I guess energy that her real life counterpart did you know like because her and Flynn were together in the real world uh like back before the movie started but uh-huh. um because they're exes in the real world so I can see his kind of attraction in there but she is not she's very much not Dr. Laura Baines like she's very much Yori like at a she's a whole different kind of like the same way that Tron is very different from Alan like they they, they share a face but they're not the same person and she doesn't come across as particularly on top of things you know she's very kind of like she can pilot stuff but she doesn't have the same agency that she does in the real world so aside from that little flirtation with her on the ship when they first meet and he's like Laura you know like they're mostly just really depressed that Tron is dead or in panic mode like they're either in a cell together uh, there's no sort of simmering will they won't they tension you know so I guess I don't know maybe it's because he's just the hero and uh, she's like the one woman in the film and they they I guess they need a love scene like I don't know this whole thing just kind of came at me out of nowhere okay I'll look at it now it's very very well done with the bloom of light behind them and everything it looks fantastic but I just I still see it as like what's this doing here to me what's, this what's makes total sense and okay. here's why Okay. It is Flynn that initiates the kiss. Yeah. That's the most important part of the scene. So here's what's going okay. on. Okay. Flynn is totally into Laura. Obviously. Yeah. He's obviously. making fun of he's making fun of Alan. He totally still wants Laura. Yeah. He's in the computer world and there's Laura. But not really Laura. Right. So the entire time through even though there's no tension between them, in his mind, he's still Flynn going, kind of, kind of still want this lady. Oh, okay. And as it comes up and she's showing that she's caring about him, that has to be overwhelming his hormones. Not in a bad way. Just, you know, flooding him with, oh, man. Yeah. This is really Lori. Yeah. And she really cares about me right now. And I'm getting ready to do this big emotional, you know, gesture you know where i might die i'm doing it <laughs> and he kisses yeah okay i guess i can yeah i can sort of see it from that because that's to me that totally washes away there being no tension there being no anything on her part this is all about flynn just still being in love with lori and this program just kind of being lori yeah. Except without any of the without any of the baggage that keeps her from coming to him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I can see that for sure. Yeah. Okay. Good. That helps me sort of uh, like the scene a bit more. Yeah. It's not. It's not really better. I mean, you know, in terms of 2020 thinking. No. <laughs> no. Not really. Not really. No. But it does. But sort it's of make still. A bit- it still it still makes sense emotionally for him to be attracted to her and to want to have this before he throws himself into this beam. Yeah, I wouldn't say that it 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 becomes a more romantic scene or anything like that, but it definitely starts to make sense in terms of motivation and uh, and what's actually happening. No, and they actually kind of deal with that later on. I don't want to ruin any future no. minutes. I don't no. remember if it's in the movie or the book or the script now because I'm so. Like it's in into yeah. all three of these at the same time, <laughs> but she does this. It's something the users do when she kisses. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, well, that's the thing. Like, because there was a there was a love scene in the film that was cut. There's a there was a love scene that was cut earlier in the film between Tron. Okay, and so Yuri. that didn't make the film. So we can talk about that a little. <laughs> yeah, which I, I I did I did I do I did talk about that earlier with a guest. I do have a bonus minute uh, oh, okay. dedicated to that, which uh, which has already already aired, but. Um, 
it's a fascinating scene but they say that so but because that scene makes it clear that there's like a type of a type of sex present in the universe but even then it was a, a commingling of energies you know like glowing together there's no kissing or anything like that so there's sort of the sort of canon barbie doll parts sort of remain canon barbie-ish so i don't think that you know even if they hadn't cut that scene this is still probably yori's first kiss you know right like my theory first is that not only kiss. first physical she's only kiss been used that. to the three seashells version of this in the past <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh man exactly yeah she's only been used to the to the three seashells version so far yeah yeah <laughs> that's exactly that's the best way of putting it for sure yeah <laughs> So, but it also kind of it kind of puts Yori into the "tell me more of this Earth thing you call kissing" Star Trek role, you know. Like, <laughs> so it's it's kind of I don't know, it's a little problematic. But she's you know she seems to is pretty enthusiastic about it. But I think it just helps. I I don't know problematic. I don't know from problematic. I think maybe it speaks, not, yeah. to, it speaks to Flynn. Problematic dealing is its own with word, his, right? Yeah, because he has to have been. The whole way through, you're just thinking Flynn has to be like into her. Well, I wonder what's going to happen when he gets out because they don't really they don't really go too deep into what happens when he gets out. Um, because I think in this moment, as you describe it, he's realizing what good thing he has turned away. He's realizing right. what good thing he's lost. Like, what he, like he he was uh, let go from Encom, but I get the feeling that because in the beginning in the novel they really go into. Dr. Laura Baines being attracted to both men, right? Like not liking Flynn's childishness, but really liking his, his life, his, his joie de vivre, his passion. Right. Yes. But she likes Alan's responsibility and adultness, you know, but he is a bit of a stick in the mud and he is a bit petulant, you know, like, so there is she's kind of got this like ah geez they're both great in their own way i'm going down the responsible path but she's still kind of got an eye towards flynn like oh man i don't know not that she's like indecisive you know but she 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 has she still has sort of feelings for him or or sees the attraction there even though she's sort of more mature now and i think maybe flynn in this moment looking at this uh, simulation of, of uh, Dr. Laura Baines that I think he's like, man, she's really something. And uh, I messed up. And so he's kissing her sort of as a way to apologize to the real world version of her kind of almost, you know, or, or, or maybe, I don't know if he's kissing her goodbye or, or what's going on, but, but they don't, because when they go back to the real world, there's no notion of like, well, Laura and Flynn are together now. Right. You know, it it still seems like Laura and Alan are uh, are a couple and Flynn is just their best friend who also happens to be the CEO of Encom. There's no they're not like uh maybe they're maybe they're a triad. Maybe they become a triad, you know, I don't know. That would be pretty cool. But I just can't see Alan doing that. No, I can't see Alan. I can I can see Flynn totally being into it like, oh. "Hey, Alan." Sure. Let's roll over. <laughs> swingers yeah you know but i don't think uh yeah baby but i don't think uh yeah that alan's would be flynn not, the dude by the way yeah and alan's not that not that kind of guy but okay cool but that brings us sort of close to the uh the end of minute 86 there's uh and we can go uh into the differences in the the, the novel and the screenplay now we can talk a little bit about that kind of stuff can we get, can we go down uh, this one road for a second yeah two things that I want to slip in here. I know I I run so long whenever I guest on anyone's show. But skin you tone. say such you say such great stuff. So it's all good. <laughs> skin tone. Yeah. Right here when they're kissing, they look almost as if they have regular skin tone that humans have. Oh, okay. Um is this a thing that comes and goes throughout the movie in your observation? Are they black and white all the way through the movie except for the scene? Like when they're being more human and emotional. Well, I'll just say this. It's my impression Uh, that there are times that they've got better skin tone than others. There are times where it looks like it's black and white. And there are times where it looks like they kind of look like humans. 
And I do you think? Well, there's there was yeah there was all kinds of irregularities, and I think that in the creators' commentary they do talk about how they did try that. They did try to uh, when they were being more human, make them look more human. It's subtle, but it's there. I don't know if it's that one-to-one. I don't know if it's that direct, that the more human okay. they were, the more human they looked. But I know that they did have to adjust almost every shot to make it look better and that they also adjusted every shot to kind of, yeah, like imbue it with a bit more color or a bit more, you know, make them look a bit more yellow here, a bit more a bit more blue there, a bit more gray there. Sure. So they might have tried to. And one of the things about this scene in particular is that they've got this giant red and white light behind them. So they can so really they have, ramp that up. Yeah. They've got a pink, they've got a pink bloom glowing all over the two of them so they definitely do look pinker but i don't think it's like their skin tone i think it's just because they've got all this red and white light behind them that's making them that's shining a pink light onto them that's kind of giving them a bit of a, a more sort of human oh, uh pink you're saying on. this was a practical there was a big pink light yeah that's what i'm that's that's oh, okay. the impression i get that okay. because of all the bloom in the scene it just makes them look like they're a bit more a bit more fully realized but i don't know if it's a purposeful thing of saying they are human in this moment. Okay. Because there's kind of a thing when you're, when you're first starting out in photography where you kind of, if you start doing low light sort of artistic stuff, you do struggle a little bit with, with grain and, and yeah, color. For and sure. It'll come out looking like this. The thing about video though, compared to photography is that the, the gate is so fast that you almost don't get that. So they, they must yeah. have really been, they must have really had to like do some, I mean, I guess that's not a surprise that they were doing some really experimental stuff on this film. They did experimental stuff on this film that was never attempted again. They, uh, <laughs> b- before or since. Yeah, they really did. With light, special stuff. with equipment, with everything. Yeah, with everything. The very, uh, the very special kinda... film. The other thing I kind of wanted to talk about, but I just, I just want to say, I just want to say that your interpretation of them being more human because their skin tone is changing to a more sort of, uh, you know, like real world skin tone for those two characters. I think that's a totally valid interpretation. And I think it could very well have been what they intended. I'd like to think Uh, so. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so this is more just a me not paying good enough attention. Flynn has clue. And then, Flynn has Flynn in the computer world. Flynn is Clue, and then Flynn is Flynn. Alan yeah. has Tron. Um, what's Lori's program all about? Uh, Doctor Laura her... Baines. Her 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 program's name is Yori, and you can uh-huh. see it when they're when they're digitizing the orange in the beginning. There's readouts on the side of the of the orange as you see it get taken into green squares and, and a green grid and and decomposed. There's a uh, there's a there's on the side there's like gate open mention mag lock but there's also like yori activated there's like yori is referred to in the readouts on the side of the orange being derez so yori is a program she's a part of the laser program that like dr laura baines has helped spearhead along with dr walter gibbs so she's already okay so she's she's, she's in the mainframe do you know what she does for the laser no I don't know what she does with the laser. All I know is that she got kidnapped by the MCP and repurposed to work on the solar sailor. So that's are why there we're a trying. Bunch, are there a bunch of Lori programs running around looking like her? No, there's only one. That's one thing Just they try to make really clear in this film is that there's only one Tron. There's only one Yori. There's only one okay. whoever. Like there's not because they could have very easily had everybody, for instance, on the crew of Sark's carrier be the same actor. It could have just been like like Pac-Man, just looking all like Pac-Man, just 10 red programs all with the same face, but they made a conscious choice to not go in that direction. So each program is unique. So Yori is just Yori, but uh, that's when we first meet her. She's a little zombie ish because she's been overtaken by the MCP. And every program has a little bit of the programmers flaw in them to make them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's that, approaching... that's oh. yeah, yeah, that's the theme. <laughs> that's like the theme of the movie, right? <laughs> nice. Okay. Well, thanks for clearing that up for me. I was never yeah. sure exactly what she did for a living. Yeah, that's where she what comes. Her there, use but I'm to not, the grid yeah. was. 
something to do with the laser project in the beginning before she was taken by the MCP. So sweet. Uh, so there's a moment in the novel where Sark says Tron in unison with the MCP and the voices of a thousand other captive programs like he is now the voice of Legion. You know, he has, a, a, you know, that 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 a fairly typical thing in movies now, whenever there's somebody that gets possessed by a demon, they speak with like 10 voices or whatever. That's kind of something that they were planning on doing that they didn't end up doing. Um, and when Yori, <laughs> this is something when Yori says, stop, you'll be derezzed. This is something I'm glad they took out. Flynn actually puts a finger on her lips and says, oh, <laughs> and says probably <laughs> before kissing her. So that's like, I'm like, oh, that's good call. Good call on cutting that one. It does mention in the book that this is a new thing to Yori, that kissing is a new thing. But what's cool is that in the deleted love scene, in the deleted love scene, which I think you've, you've watched. Did you watch the deleted love scene? I have not. Okay, it's on YouTube. You should check it out. But there's a bit where she uh, she changes into a different person. She uh, she's like she's like oh I got to change into something more comfortable and she changes into this her, her helmet disappears you can see her hair she's got this flowing gown that looks like one of the angels from Abyss uh, with all these Christmas lights in it and stuff like that a whole different motif for her but the kiss on the bridge of the carrier is so good that it changes her back into that person. She kisses Flynn and she shimmers and she gets her gossamer gown wings back and her helmet disappears and and uh, and she turns back to what she looked like. Uh, but that um, the kiss gets her heart rate and her emotions going so hard that she like transforms back into that look. And that would have been an interesting callback um, had they not cut the scene. But as it is, it has no it has no place here. So so that would have been very well, strange to see her to see that happen to her without it. Without it, uh, without it happening earlier in the film. Oh, and the but thing that you didn't uh, refer to, I was referring to earlier. Uh, Flynn has this thought as he as he looks at her, he goes, "So much like Laura." Yeah, yeah, that's right. And Yori, Yori, uh, Yori feels like it's different than her love for Tron. You know, but it does come out of left field. Like like Flynn just kind of goes for it. But this is a very this is a very new thing happening for Yori right now. She's very much like, what the heck is going on? I have to read but this. She's, she's into it. She was filled with feelings she couldn't sort out or analyze. Yep. An affection for Flynn that was unlike her love of Tron, but undeniable and wonderful. Yeah. She transformed yeah. once more the circuitry giving way to traceries and was gossamer winged in her mantle, hair flowing freely. Her eyes closed in rapture. That's mm -hmm. a hell of a kiss, man. That's a hell of a kiss. Well done, <laughs> Flynn. He's got the goods. He's got the goods. <laughs> but then she's never she's never been kissed before. So who's to who's to say? Right? We'll see. Yeah, he, but for he, all we he, know, he, he could see, suck at it. She's just never had one. She's just yeah. <laughs> in this in the screenplay, there's still. Um, yeah, there's the same moment of Yori begging Flynn not to jump, uh, not to jump, and Flynn uh, putting his finger on his lips and saying, "Shh." But then he says, uh, "I'm sure Tron wouldn't mind if just once." Like he's helping himself to like Tron's girlfriend, which I'm glad they cut that too. But in the wow. screenplay, she uh, she she transforms as well. You know, I've noticed it, that about. It's pretty much the um, same. I've noticed that about animated features too where they make yeah. a lot of really good decisions in in the pre-filming phase editorial yeah. decisions in the pre-filming phase well you know every film could benefit from it i think there's a lot of films these days that just let the leads improv and then they edit yeah. together what they have or they just sort of say yeah well the screen the, you know the sides were just finished so read this and uh and i think that there's a lot to be said for a production that is like one of the reasons why Fury Road was so good was because they were going to film it in like 98 or something like that. And then uh, through a series of, you know, mishaps and, and folded studios and, and problems with production, it didn't end up getting made until recently. And uh, because of that, they've had they had time to like revisit the storyboards and revisit the storyboards and revisit the storyboards and go over them and go over them and go over them. And so when they were really filming, refining. they were like, they knew exactly what they were going to do. 
there was no just there was no jazz on the day like it was just like this is exactly what we're going for and you know the proofs in the pudding the, the resulting project is incredible so i think you know the more planning the better when it comes to these giant projects with all these moving parts especially with something perhaps as visual as fury road or as visual as tron you know you really want to have every, that nailed down what everyone should do before they make a movie is write their script and then give it to Brian Daly or uh, <laughs> Alan Dean Foster to novelize. And then yeah. read the novel. And, and then, then read the novel. <laughs> go, hey, this is a whole new movie. Okay, I get it now. And, and then go, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and then go, wait a minute. This is stupid. Part, this, parts, of this doesn't, parts of this doesn't work at all. Or I need the scene that... that that uh alan put in here to make this other thing work yeah <laughs> yeah if only we could get every script into their hands even if just for comments yeah well <laughs> i don't know if alan dean foster is still alive brian, brian daly passed away quite a while ago but yeah i know yeah okay well there you go the ghost of brian daly please cc the cc the ghost of brian daly and uh and, and try to get a try to get a novelization out of him from beyond the grave. <laughs> let's let's Ouija board a novelization one letter at a time. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that takes us up to the min, uh, end of minute eighty six. What do you think? Uh, I these are some of the best uh, juiciest minutes I think in the movie. There's a well, lot. There's probably a yeah. lot that can be talked about in all of them. I could probably do an hour on everything. They're and... a treasure trove. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of... <laughs> kind of kind of holding back because I want to talk about what the world is made of, what all that red is underneath and stuff. But uh, awesome. Well, we can we we'll got we still maybe, got we, maybe in my last minute. <laughs> we'll come back for minute eighty seven and we'll we'll get in there. Okay, that works for me. All right, cool. it's it's just a delight being on this week. I love the show. It, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, we'll yeah, I'm looking forward to the next minute. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, check out more at TronologicallySpeaking.com. Drop us a line on Twitter at TronologicallySpeaking or send us an email at TronologicallySpeaking at gmail.com or join us on Facebook at the Tronologically Speaking Minute-by-Minute Minute listeners page. Go to Pond5 for all your music needs for your uh, for your for the intro and outro music that I got here and there's plenty of other music for all of your needs up there. Uh, special thanks to the Star Wars Minute that started it all. And go on over to MoviesByMinutes.com and see if your favorite movie is there. And if it isn't, consider doing it yourself because it is uh, an, an intense but rewarding experience. And I highly recommend it for anybody that's uh, as into films as I know probably most of you are. All right. Do you want to try a little uh, another end of line on three? Sure. All right. One, two, three. End, end of life. life.